I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. I feel the red wave flowing. It's coming around the bend. And we've been splishing and splashing since uh, we don't know when. Yeah, let's send them all to prison. That's where they belong. And we'll keep the red wave flowing till the commies are gone. It's high noon for Tuesday, July 13th, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. You can also find me on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator and the merch site is www.cancelcouture.com. Today is the 174th day of Barack Obama's third term, as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist, dummy, fake proxy president Joe Biden, who was overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth. That's Hunter Biden. So congratulations, commies. You thought it was more than enough to simply espouse a collective morality rather than practicing a personal one. But it failed again. Who saw that coming? Certainly not the commies. Because for commies, the espousing of collective morality is morality. And that's dangerous. And I was thinking about this for the last day, kind of in light of talking about Hollywood for a bit yesterday, because that's very much like what the moral community in Hollywood is like. So I want to talk about that. But to just explain the idea a little further, you know, I'm sure this is true for for deeply religious people. I'm not a deeply religious person, although I am in a permanent state of questioning and I'm open to all ideas, by the way. But I have not spent my life as a deeply religious person. That is not what guided my morality the way it does for some people. And for some people, that makes a lot of sense. And it provides them. I mean, I, I don't want to say this the wrong way, and I don't want to try to represent someone's views that I don't share necessarily. But. I think it sort of provides them, you know, the the moral checklist, even if it's just as simplistic as what would Jesus do? And again, not trying to make light, not trying to say that's how religious people guide their lives. I know it's not that simplistic. okay? but it is actually good to have some kind of mental check on yourself before you make a moral decision and say, hey, am I doing the right thing? Am I going to have to feel moral guilt for this because I've let myself down and I've acted beneath my standards, right? And I believed for most of my life that 
you could do this effectively as a secular person. And I'm not convinced that you can't, by the way. I'm not retracting that. I just think it's perhaps more difficult and it's a lot easier to get steered off course. And so that's what brings me to the Hollywood stuff. You know, you get there, especially if you're not from there and you're not from a, a big city environment like that. And I was not, you know, I, I went to college in a small northeastern city and I did live briefly in New York City, but I was so broke and only there to find work, which I did. And that work actually took me out of the city into small town Connecticut. So by the time I reached Los Angeles, I really hadn't spent a whole lot of time in an environment that was as morally permissive. You know, I went to college and in college you can kind of learn in some way how to become an adult, but that's still with like the training wheels on. You know what I mean? Like you don't question how you're going to get your room paid for, for the most part. I know people out there put themselves through college. Okay, let's cover absolutely every base so that no one gets upset rather than just listening to the thing I'm saying. <laughs> Salty right now. Um, you know, so you don't have to worry about where you're going to sleep. You got your dorm room, right? Or your financial package allots some amount of money for your rent. If you're in an off-campus apartment, that's how it was at my school. And you've got you know, your, your cafeteria card or what do they call it? Like a, a dining hall, whatever it was, you know, where your food's coming from, you know, where you're going to stay. You have the responsibilities of getting up, making it to class, getting your work done and trying to get good grades and prepare yourself for a bright future, right? That's pretty much it. It's not a lot of responsibility, but it's certainly more responsibility than you had in high school. And you end up in this environment with a bunch of people your age who are from all different environments. You know, I went to college with a bunch of like Manhattan and D.C. prep school kids and Philly prep school kids. And I'm not talking any shit about them. Some of them became very good friends of mine, but. It, they were raised in a different environment and they had been exposed to far more things than I ever had. And so it's a learning process, right? So you go through college, you get out to a place like Hollywood and it is just levels beyond whatever college could have been. You know, there are no rules. It's adults doing whatever they want pretty much, right? And it's too difficult to know the ins and outs of individual people's moral situations. You hear rumors. You're not sure whether or not to believe them. So you're encouraged to give the benefit of the doubt to the people who are out there saying the right stuff. You know, like, oh, man, 
Okay, I, I understand your story, but I just I don't think that that person would have done that. They just don't seem like that to me. You know, they're always out there like going to Black Lives Matter marches. How could they have harassed that girl or stolen from that guy or stabbed their friend in the back? That just doesn't sound right. I'm not sure I can believe that. And then you see the person and they're totally nice to you. And if they're nice to you, that must mean they're good, right? That's how life goes out there. And so you get accustomed to just saying, well, you know, I don't really know if the person did wrong or did right. So I'm going to abstain from judgment and just carry on throughout normal life. Right. And then nothing happens to the person. There's no blowback. There are people out there with reputations in the absolute gutter. Who people will still flock to, right? They'll still go to the person's after parties. They'll fly on planes to their charity events. doesn't matter. You just assume that they must be good because they look a certain way and they talk a certain way and they have this or that degree of success and people say good things about them. Everybody wants to meet them. They're talented. And they say the right things politically. And that's the cover. That's all the cover they need. Because that's basically enough to convince the general public that that person isn't capable of evil. Okay? And that's ultimately what we're talking about here. It's good versus evil. And again, I was one of the people who didn't really understand the capacity for evil and what actually constituted evil. The fact that, no, there are a lot of people out there who don't consider their personal morality and they don't feel guilt when they wrong someone else. They make an excuse. They talk about how it's someone else's problem or they're just being misunderstood. And so it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. And that moral permissiveness and a culture of moral permissiveness means that if you ever kind of think, oh, that's kind of messed up and you talk to somebody else about it, chances are they're going to be like, yeah, I mean, that is kind of messed up, but who knows? Like, I don't really know that person well enough to know for sure. I can't judge the situation. And then that sort of thing spreads throughout the culture. And then no one cares. So when people ask, how is it that someone like Harvey Weinstein gets away with what he was doing for so long? I look at that question and I'm like, what do you mean? Of course he got away with it. Everyone was there taking advantage of him. Why are they going to be the one that stands up and says, hey, that person's doing wrong? They're not going to do that. Because they know that that person can help them get ahead or prevent them from doing so. That's power. That's how you become complicit in their evil. And that happens all the time there. And on some level, I think most of our community understands that. And I don't mean the Hollywood community. I mean, those of us who have been supporting the actual president throughout this last year and a half or more, obviously. 
I think we understand that there is that aspect to Hollywood, but it's too simplistic in the way the community talks about it, because I don't think anybody really has any genuine sense of what it's like there, at least not in the social scenes and stuff. I mean, you can people can report on movies, you know, or people can even work in movies, but that's not the same as knowing what the social life and the culture in Hollywood really is like when it comes down to this stuff. And truthfully, there's not a lot of people who know that stuff better than I do. And the circle that I was in because we ran nightlife in Hollywood. I did that for 15 plus years, knowing thousands of people, seeing all these people when they're completely drunk at 4 a.m. And I'm not saying every single star in the world. I'm not saying that. And it's not even about celebrities. I'm talking about culture. There are plenty of people out there that are part of that culture that are not celebrities, that aren't friends with celebrities, and that don't go to celebrity stuff, but they still are in the same circles. Everybody's circles intersect. Hollywood itself, the scene there, is actually pretty small. And so when you have spent enough time there, deeply embedded in that culture, and I'm again, not just celebrities, the whole thing, you start realizing that what the place is, is a bunch of people who went out to try to do something on their own because they either had a passion for the entertainment business or their particular role in it, or, and this is probably more common if everyone is being honest, they wanted to be famous. They wanted to impress the people who didn't like them in high school. And so they go out there and the great majority of them will find little else but failure. Okay. It's real hard. You've basically chosen an industry that, you know, almost no one makes it in. And then you have to have either the faith in yourself right? The self-confidence or the complete delusion that you're the one out of the 1% who even has a shot. You're the one who's going to really do it. These are microscopic odds. So you end up dealing with rejection after rejection after rejection. You try to form relationships and they fail consistently because the truth is people aren't out there to form relationships and they're certainly not out there to stay in relationships. And after a while, you just passively accept what the place is. It's like the price of admission that you drop your standards or else you would go insane. And what comes out of that, what emerges out of that is this sort of moral permissiveness where you start accepting dishonesty and disloyalty. And it's easier to kind of turn a blind eye when you hear about something bad going on. You know, it's someone else's problem. Somebody else probably knows it better than I do. They can handle it. And once we have accepted and permitted levels of immorality and disloyalty and dishonesty and the rest then it's only a matter of time until you accept a little bit more. And it's only a matter of time until you accept a little bit more. And if you have a strong moral core, the likelihood 
of you repeating what you're seeing is dropped. But when you're in an environment of moral permissiveness, you know there's certain amounts of stuff you can get away with if you want and not really ever get in trouble for. And a lot of people just go ahead and do it. Because at that point, who is anyone else to say something about you, right? And that's what we now have in politics. And we've probably had it in politics for as long as politics have existed. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that they learned it by watching Hollywood. But we've all been conditioned to accept that there is going to be a level of criminality and corruption and dishonesty in our politics just as the price of admission. Like, yeah, you know, this is just what they do. They just steal the labor of some Haitians who work in that mine, who owns the mine, who knows? How did we get the mine? I think everybody knows, right? Or they refuse to enforce border laws while we have a legitimate slave trade happening across our southern border. And we just think, oh, well, you know, if I speak up about that, it's racist. (laughs) How do we get into a place like that? How do we get to a place where we hear that Joe Biden appoints a director of national security personnel, or I should say a special assistant to the president for national security personnel who held essentially the same role for the CCP. And we don't care. We just say, oh, well, that's politics. Going to have to win that next election to get these guys to stop doing crimes. What? How do we get to the point where that seems okay at all? And again, it's not like I'm encouraging toppling the government. I'm encouraging people sharing and spreading truth and expecting our political representatives to hold themselves to a high standard of ethical behavior. All right. I'm not interested in picking apart their personal lives to find immorality. That's, for the most part, pointless. But I do expect them to not be taking payoffs and then doing things that harm the country or harm their constituents. And we are in a place where, until Trump came along, it was basically only that. The Uniparty just in their full power, ready to plant Hillary Clinton into the White House and just make the entire thing corruption. Just literally exploiting the fruits of the American people's labor to launder money around the world. That's insanity. And we allow it to happen and we've come to expect it to happen. We've convinced ourselves it's okay. Well, this is just how politicians are. Oh, the system's so corrupt. Oh, it's a swamp. You can't do anything about it. Guess we're just going to stop paying attention to politics again for the next two years until we get to go vote. 
Oh, our votes don't count? Well, you know, that's just politics. No, that's not just politics. That's a takeover of global communism. And we can't do that, all right? We all took a break, morally, for the last eh, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. How long has it been? It's definitely been since JFK. Let's say that. Maybe a little longer. But we decided that these issues were too big and we were too removed from them and they were too complicated. And so rather than talking about them with other people and trying to understand them, we decided that trying was pointless. And we would just be okay by turning our moral thinking over to the collective so that the collective can decide what's right and wrong. We let hippies guide our culture. Hippies. You know how crazy that is? That's real, real crazy. And, you know, we still look back on them. They're fashion icons. Oh, it was all peace and love. I have my two little fingers up on each side. (laughs) Hippies, man. We let hippies guide the culture. Because they were just all about peace and love. All you need is love, right? That's what the Beatles said. That, by the way, one day I will write the thing I've always meant to write about that. All You Need Is Love is the worst song of all time and by far the most culturally destructive song that has ever been written. If the Beatles weren't created by a communist intelligence agency, I would be shocked. (laughs) And come on, you know it's true. All You Need Is Love is one of the dumbest philosophies of all time. It makes the secret look smart. Love is absolutely not all you need. Okay. And the problem with teaching that stupid lesson to a bunch of hippies and then letting those hippies teach the rest of the country how they should be living is that Allowing a bunch of morally permissive liars to declare when they are morally blameless just by pronouncing their love for something. Oh, yeah, you know, well, I'm sorry you feel that way, but I meant it in love. (laughs) That is actually an excuse that real people use for their poor behavior. Oh, well, I didn't mean to do anything wrong. Do you want me to apologize? It won't be sincere, but I'm happy to do it. And you, well, you're not allowed to judge me because all you need is love. And if you don't love me, even through this period of my moral error, well, that's not going to sit right. And I'm not encouraging some kind of inquisition here, okay? Put down your Legos. 
I'm simply saying that we should take responsibility for our own personal morality and check that against whatever standard you ostensibly have. If it's your religious standard, check your moral behavior against your religion. Am I doing right? Am I doing wrong? Am I allowing wrong to happen in front of me and allowing it to go unchecked? Right? These are the questions we need to be asking ourselves. And again, I'm not holding myself up as perfect at all. I just told you what kind of environment I was in for many years. And it took the COVID lockdown to take me out of my regular cycle of being out in that environment all the time. It allowed me to step back and be like, whoa, what the hell has been happening in front of me for the last 15 years? But we need to check ourselves and we need to expect that the people we're empowering are acting in a morally responsible way. Okay. And it doesn't have to coincide with our morality. They just need to actually be able to explain themselves morally. And if we're going to hold them to high moral standards, then we're required to hold ourselves to high moral standards or else we're just the same hypocrites that we want to get out of the political arena altogether. We can't become what we hate just to get rid of them. And so let's just consider this moral rot while we talk about election fraud and all the stuff that's happening today, because just right from waking up today has turned itself into a magnificent news day. That's why you get the red wave song. The red wave song only comes around when the red wave is really flowing because the red wave has been here the entire time. But when it's really flowing, when we get some new water (laughs) coming in, when the tides are rising, that's when we get the red wave song. So let's talk about Texas first. The Democrats yesterday, to prevent a quorum in the Texas legislature so that they could pass voting law that would make it harder for Democrats to steal elections. And that is what these voting laws are about, by the way. They're not good enough by any means. Every state should have the strictest possible voting laws without disenfranchising anyone. That should be an indisputable truth for everyone. Make as many possible provisions to prevent cheating while not deterring anyone from being able to vote. That should be it. And no, commies, that's not what you're doing by trying to legalize ballot harvesting and legalize universal mail-in voting where ballots are sent to every single registered voter, whether or not they're active, whether or not their registration is current, whether or not they've left the state or died. That's not protecting the vote while making sure everyone has access to voting. That's not what that is. To even pretend that's what that is, is insulting to the intelligence of literally everyone. And so they don't even try to argue on those grounds. They try to say that it's racist. 
And to support that claim, they make the claim that black people and brown people can't get ID or can't leave the house or are able to receive a mail-in ballot, but have no idea how to send the ballot back through the mail. So we need drop boxes because apparently the U.S. Postal Service doesn't go around to all of the places it drops mail. That doesn't make sense. Also, proximity to a photocopying business should not be a factor. If there is some class of people who is going to be put out by the fact that they need a voter ID, then responsible legislatures would make it their business to get those people IDs. That is much easier and much more protective of one person, one vote than instituting ballot harvesting and universal mail-in voting and outlawing voter ID and all of these other utterly insane policies that the Democrats all tried to get passed in H.R. 1. And so the Democrats in Texas have literally fled the state. They are breaking the law. And the Texas governor, Greg Abbott, yesterday said that these Democrats are subject to arrest when they re-enter Texas. They left on a bus to, I guess, an FBO, some sort of private airfield. And they took three private jets to Washington, D.C., so that they could go out and hold a press conference or something outside the Capitol. And they sang, we shall overcome. And it was a pathetic rendition. But they were like taking selfies on their plane. No masks, because obviously COVID doesn't exist when you're protecting people's sacred right to vote by making elections completely pointless and allowing anyone who wants to to just cheat as much as they want. That's how states become purple and then blue, by the way. We don't have to be child brains and pretend that three million people have left California to every other state. Oh, there's three million new Californians in Texas. That's why it's turning purple. Oh, there's three million new Californians in Georgia. That's why it's turning purple. Hey, look at that one district in Nebraska. Three million Californians just moved there, and now it's purple. Well, why are Washington and Oregon such Democrat strongholds now? Well, (laughs) I'll tell you, you'll never guess. Three million Californians moved to Washington, and three million Californians moved to Oregon. Three million Californians moved to Illinois and Michigan a couple decades ago. It's been blue ever since. Every time they need a new state on the map for the Uniparty and the communists to steal that state and turn it into another Uniparty communist stronghold, They just imagine three million Californians have left and arrived there. And now the state actually is purple. And we're just all supposed to believe that. 
So three million Californians have moved to Texas. And now just any day, any election cycle, Texas is going to be a purple state and then a blue state. Turned out it was still red this year. It was supposed to be blue in 2016. It was supposed to be blue in 2020. Eh, Still red. How's that happen? Well, they didn't get to cheat quite enough in the last election, but they still cheated in Texas, just like they cheated in the other states. Hopefully, some MAGA power will rise up in Texas. I think it's coming. And they'll clean up Texas's vote. But the reason the Democrats have fled the state so that these voting regulations can't pass is because if that happens, then Texas is off the board for them. And they have put a lot of resources into Texas and not just three million imaginary Californians. And by the way, I'm not saying Californians don't move here. I understand that. I'm in Texas right this second. And I spent 18 and a half years in California. Most of the Californians that have come here are not seeking to turn Texas into California. That whole narrative is nonsense. But the thrust behind all of these permissive voting rules that the Democrats are trying to cement in law is the knowledge that they have actually broken the real law in all of these places. And they're trying to change the law. So if and when they are caught and tried for breaking all of these laws, they can just say, well, yeah, you know, but the laws were changing and now this is the law. So water under the bridge. Sorry. Yeah. OK, you caught us harvesting some ballots, but harvesting ballots is legal now anyway. And this is what the people really wanted. That's why we got it passed, because the people wanted it. But the people don't want it. And so what we have is all of these Democrat state legislators from Texas who are trying to turn Texas into a California-style communist state, they're breaking the law, and they're bragging about it. They're publicizing it. They're saying, yeah, you know, we know we might get arrested if we go back to Texas, but it's worth it because we are saving the vote for the marginalized people. We're solving racism just by breaking the law. And they have the nerve to go around telling other people that they're not following the Constitution. And so let's talk about Pennsylvania, where Joe Biden is heading today so that he can make a very important speech about voting rights. And he's going to give that speech in his own voice, we are told. And let me tangent here just for a second. And let's check out Jen Psaki. We, of course, are monitoring closely. You saw the, the, the statement the president, uh, we put out in the president's name this morning, uh, front, uh, in his voice, of course, uh, conveying his support for the people of Cuba. Okay. So Jen Psaki just said that they issued a statement in the president's voice and that was after correcting herself because she said that they put the statement out in the president's name. And she's like, oh, I mean, uh, his voice, of course. Now, a lot of people jumped on this yesterday. And I think that 
they were right to do so. But the crazy thing is this isn't the first time she said that. She said that exact same thing on Thursday. Listen to this. Well, I would say first the fact that he is now sitting as president of the United States. He issued a statement in his voice yesterday about the horrific killing of the president. And he's made clear uh, to uh, the administration, administration officials, that we are stand ready to assist in any way they need, whether it's in the investigation or other federal assistance we can offer from here, uh, sends you a clear message about uh, his uh, care and concern for the people of Haiti. Go ahead, Kelly. Okay, so that's twice out of the last three White House press briefings where Jen Psaki has straight up just said that statements were issued in Joe Biden's voice. What does that mean? First off, if we were to take that in a literary sense, I could, for instance, write a statement in Joe Biden's voice. If I was to do that, it would be difficult to write all of the mumbling and muttering, but I would have no problem figuring out places that I could insert a story about how my family members had died, as Joe Biden basically always does, even when it's entirely out of context and even when it's dampening the sympathy he's trying to show for others, as he did when he went and talked about the building collapse in Florida. And he does that, of course, because winning sympathy is a easy way for a corrupt politician like Joe Biden to protect himself from questions. Or I could write in little parts about how he had all these great accomplishments in athletics or in college that he just simply never had. Or I could write in little segments in Joe Biden's voice where he challenges people in the audience to contests over feats of strength. <laughs> or I could brag about how tough I was when I met Vladimir Putin, even though no one believes it. Or I could talk about how good of friends I am with Xi Jinping. Or I could talk about how I never had any idea about what Hunter Biden was doing in his business relationships, even though I had a total understanding of literally everything he was doing. I could write all that in there in Joe Biden's voice. It would be made more difficult by all of the muttering and the incoherent long pauses. But that couldn't be what she meant. They are literally writing words as a representation of what Joe Biden might have said were he only coherent and awake enough and informed enough to have independent thoughts that he could then build into an understandable narrative and then release as a statement. Now, it's crazy that this is just another thing we've become accustomed to. You know, so many politicians don't actually 
handle their own social media. And the same goes for celebrities, by the way. Most of the celebrities you see on social media have a social media manager doing the entire account. Okay, they write the captions, they choose the pictures and they do the engagement. If it's a top level celebrity, they do very little of their own social media. There are some that do it for themselves, obviously. But a lot of the ones with very bland accounts where it's made to seem like they have the same personality as all of the other celebrities like them. Those are all social media managers. Kamala Harris does not do her own social media and has not done her own social media for years and years. I used to know someone that did Kamala Harris's social media five or six years ago. Or I should say I met someone. It's not like they were buddies of mine. Joe Biden does not do his own social media. Nothing could ever be more obvious than that. Joe Biden didn't do any of his social media the entire time he was running for president. We saw interviews, television interviews that Joe Biden was doing where he was reading the answers to the interview off a teleprompter in front of him. That really happened. He used to do live television interviews well, on Zoom, I should say where he was staring down at a computer the entire time, and you could see his eyes moving as he was reading the answers. That's something you can actually do in real time, as long as you have one of the people on your campaign writing out the answers. Like, you could literally do that in iMessage. It's not high-tech stuff. Somebody's literally just typing in the words, and Joe's saying them. Joe Biden is unable to speak for himself. When he does speak for himself, it is an absolute disaster, which is why they almost never let him do it. And I'm sure he'll do something disastrous today at his speech in Pennsylvania. But again, this is one of the things that the rest of the world knows, okay? Like the American media can hide it, which allows the commies to pretend it's not real. But no one who is leading an adversarial nation or even an allied nation, none of them are captured by this same illusion. They know that Joe Biden's brain is not functioning. They know that Joe Biden does not have the mental or personal capacity to stand up To them, Joe Biden doesn't even have the mental or personal capacity to stand up to the people in his own fake administration. And there are leaks right now about how Kamala and her people are trying to lay the groundwork to get Joe Biden out of there using the 25th Amendment. And not to go too far into speculation, But Jen Psaki saying this again and again, and that's twice already, okay? I don't think she's going to stop saying that. That's undercutting Joe Biden. His own press secretary is undercutting the illusion of competence that he is so desperately clinging to. That's crazy. So with 
Joe Biden's obvious state of mental decay. Let's look at what he's doing in Pennsylvania. And by the way, I forgot to even say hello to the redeemable commies. So, hey, hi, commies. I know it's too late, but you're still welcome here. Seriously, you voted for Joe Biden. You voted for exactly this and thought that maybe Kamala would come in and, hey, you know, we got a woman of color there. So at least that's something. Yes, we have served our entire society up to global communism and the Chinese Communist Party and whatever other hostile countries might want to take advantage of us on a silver platter. But no worries. At least we don't have to read any mean tweets right now. And amazingly, some of these people are so detached from reality that they are still proud of that decision. So feckless Joe Biden is going up to Pennsylvania to somehow exert the force of his pretend office and try to prevent a forensic audit in Pennsylvania. That is his goal in going up there. Okay. They're trying to say that he's going up there to protect voter rights, but that's crazy because Pennsylvania's commie governor, Tom Wolf has already vetoed that. It's kind of incredible because Joe Biden's basically just going up there to like wave his hands and be like, Oh, don't look here. Don't look here. Whatever you guys do. Don't look at this place. I'm going. And uh, State Senator Doug Mastriano is having absolutely none of that. He wrote this letter to Joe Biden last night, and it's beautiful. Dear President Biden, I understand that you are traveling to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on July 13th to deliver remarks on, quote, actions to protect the sacred constitutional right to vote, end quote. Millions of Pennsylvanians have serious doubts about the accuracy of the 2020 general election. A January poll from Muhlenberg University showed that 40 percent of Pennsylvania voters are not confident that the results of the 2020 election accurately reflect how Pennsylvanians voted. A full forensic investigation is necessary for the sake of transparency and accountability. Those who have concerns about the integrity of the election will have those concerns investigated and hopefully addressed. Those who think that there was zero voter fraud, no irregularities, and that the elections were conducted perfectly, will have the chance to be vindicated. The people of our commonwealth should have confidence that their vote counts. It takes accountability and transparency to ensure that our elections are free and fair. With this in mind, I would like to formally request a meeting with you during your visit to Pennsylvania. In this matter, we need to come together. As a transparent forensic investigation of the 2020 election in Pennsylvania will go a long way to restore trust in our system. <laughs> that is what is commonly referred to as gangster shit. OK, there is no way in the world that Joe Biden would ever accept that meeting. Right. That's just obvious going in. And Doug Mastriano knows it, too which is what makes writing this letter so gangster. He is literally inviting the fake president to take part in his own exposure as a fake president, which you got to do out of fairness. Joe Biden won't do that. That means that Doug Mastriano can wipe his hands and say, hey, 
I invited them to participate in the process. They have been welcome to participate in the process the entire time. They didn't have to try to threaten the counties of the state or the Commonwealth into not participating. You could have just participated. Biden's not going to do that. So score one for Doug Mastriano. Now, Trump came even harder at this nonsense trip to Pennsylvania today. And here's his statement. Joe Biden is going to Pennsylvania today in a rush in order to stop the forensic audit that the Pennsylvania Republican Senate is in the process of doing. Philadelphia was a cesspool of corruption, which will soon be revealed by the audit. Why are they so concerned that a president who never goes anywhere would hop on to beautiful Air Force One and head to Philadelphia if it were an honest election? Why not let the audit go forward and make everybody on both sides happy? The results will be the results. But they know it was not an honest election. Philadelphia was one of the most corrupt cities in the country. And so is Detroit. And so is Milwaukee. And so is Atlanta and Pittsburgh and Oakland and Baltimore. Corruption has gone on for years, but in the 2020 presidential election scam with the mail-in ballots and the use of COVID to cheat, corruption reached new levels. Remember the poll watchers being thrown out, the windows being sealed so no one could look in, the ballot drops, and all of the other events that took place that changed so rapidly the big Trump win on election night. Joe should say, go forward with this, with all these audits. His visit is a joke. He doesn't need to visit. All he needs to do is let them do an audit and find out what happened. Who knows? Maybe they'll say the election was on the up and up. But many people would be shocked. Let the audit go forward like it is in Arizona, despite 107 Democrat lawyers trying to stop it and failing. Let the forensic audit go, Joe. Don't fight it. Show them how honest it was. That is perfect. And that's exactly the stance Trump should be taking. Joe Biden is so illegitimate and everybody knows it. Okay. The commies even know it to the extent that they have that creeping doubt that never, ever leaves. Right. Remember being a kid and you did something bad and you just went around for a while hoping that you wouldn't get caught for it. You wouldn't get in trouble for it. Your parents might not find out. That's basically every commie child brain in the country all the time. That is why they are all so unhinged. Because they have a sense of what's coming. You would have to be so ignorant and so disconnected from reality and from politics and from any actual news to believe that Joe Biden's position as president is safe at all. It's not safe. It's not even safe from his own fake vice president. It's definitely not safe from the law and from reality and from people finding out that, yeah, obviously the guy stole the election. There's no other way that anyone could possibly imagine that total disgrace of a human being being elected. And Joe Biden is an utter disgrace. Speaking of disgraces, yesterday, the podcast was a little late because I was watching a couple of hours of that Michigan hearing about Sidney Powell and Linwood 
and these communists in Michigan trying to take away their law licenses because they brought election fraud cases after the 2020 election. And the judge was basically acting as opposing counsel the whole time. And so, of course, everyone in communist media, Rachel Maddow, all of them are just hailing her performance. Oh, she did a masterful job. But this is the level of desperation in Michigan right now. And General Flynn put this out uh, this morning or midday today. He says this needs to stop. What the heck are they trying to hide? FYI, in Michigan, bureaucrats have announced that they're going around on July 15th to replace batteries in the state's voting machines. The problem with doing so is that when you remove one battery, it erases the quote unquote volatile memory. And then in parentheses, he has resident memory in the machines. This is clearly a violation of federal law. What else is this other than obstructing the ability of anyone investigating the Michigan election to actually get a complete picture of the crimes that were committed there? They are covering up crimes and they are doing it out in the open. You know, Flynn actually attaches a letter from someone in Michigan at an organization called Election Source. They actually sign their name. I guess this is Corinne K.A. capital R.Y.N.N. So capital K like Karin. Maybe that's how you say it. It makes me think of Ken and Ryu from Street Fighter, but I'm sure that it is unrelated. But they have a whole letter here that just very nicely states, don't worry, we're not doing anything weird to the machines. We're just going to come around and eh, switch out the batteries. It's preventative care. That's what they actually call it. Preventative maintenance. And in the letter, they actually state it is not necessary for the clerk to be on site while we work. We just need access to the equipment. If the date or time does not work for you, you can bring your equipment to a neighboring jurisdiction and we can work on it there. If you do bring your equipment to a different location, please let me know where it will be located. You need to bring your ICP tabulator, ICK VAT touchscreen, printer, headphones, and ATI. You don't need to bring the power cords unless you are having an issue with them. Isn't that incredible? Like in Arizona and in Pennsylvania and some of these other states, they're saying that they are going to decertify any election equipment that was touched by the state Senate sanctioned auditors. But these people can just have the equipment dropped off wherever It's not necessary that the clerk be around. We just need access to the equipment. Imagine that. They are fighting in court over access to the equipment in Arizona. And again, the Arizona Board of Supervisors has held back 40% of the machines. They've held back the the administrator's passwords. And they've held back access to the server's. Also, that this stuff couldn't be examined because for anyone to have access to this stuff, that would present a threat to the voters information or something. And by the way, Steve Bannon says he expects the letter from Karen Fan to the Board of Supervisors in Maricopa County to come within the next 10 days. And that will be pretty earth shattering at that point. 
But look at what is happening in Michigan right now. They are doing something that their own party is protesting around the rest of the country. So once again, we have the rules for the communists. And the rules, by the way, are all carefully set up to enable as much cheating as possible. But even within those rules, they didn't have enough cheating to win. So they have to go way outside those rules in spectacular fashion that showed the entire country that they were lying. If only you had a big enough brain to comprehend what was passing in front of your eyes. And one last thing about all these states. Ten days ago, Ken Bennett, the liaison for the Maricopa County audit, said to John Fredericks in no uncertain terms that they have the packet captures. I did an episode on this, so I'm not going to rehash the whole thing. But what in the world do these other states think they're doing? There is already packet capture evidence in an active audit in front of the Arizona State Senate and the judge. If that evidence is upheld in the Arizona audit, they are all finished. Again, everyone's talking about whether or not a court will see Lindell's evidence or see evidence in Georgia or Arizona, wherever else. That evidence is already in an active court case. Okay, so either it'll be disregarded because it's not legit. Or it'll be upheld and it'll be part of that case. And knowing that it is legit and that it is part of that case. Well, it also happened in 50 states in over 3000 counties and parishes around the country. There was machine based election fraud proven with the packet captures. What in the world do they think they can do? Nothing can stop what is coming. Nothing. Okay. Here's the situation in Georgia as of this morning. And this is from Creative Destruction Media. I think it's cdm.press. This is who was first out with this this morning. And this actually is creativedestructionmedia.com. Breaking here first, proven election fraud in Georgia. Newly released evidence reveals Georgia audit fraud and massive errors. Okay. Audit fraud is what that just said. Petitioners in a lawsuit organized by Voter GA, this is Garland Favorito's organization, to inspect Fulton County ballots have added stunning claims in their amended complaint and provided new evidence from recently released public records that show Fulton County's hand count audit of the November 2020 election was riddled with massive errors and provable fraud. Got it? That's not the election they're referring to. They are now referring to the audit. Consider what we've been told. Consider the narrative. All of these states, oh, they've had one audit. They've had two audits. They've, had, they've audited it over and over again. They've done recounts. They've done audits. And there has been no problems. There's been no signs of discrepancies. There's been no signs of widespread fraud. That's what we've been told for eight months. Eight months. The claims are based on a uh, voter GA data team's analysis of Fulton's 
November 2020 mail-in ballot images in comparison with the published results of the hand count audit that was conducted on November 14th and 15th. The images became public after petitioners won a court order on April 13th and voter GA lobbying efforts led the Georgia General Assembly to make all images public under open records requests beginning March 25th. After studying the images, the data team can now prove they don't match audit results. In many cases, images appear to be correct, but the audit results are riddled with errors or fraud. And this stuff is unbelievable. This is the first time I have been shocked by any election fraud information in probably all of 2021. Right. Most of the big revelations about how all this happened were readily available in November and December. And we've gotten, you know, more proof here and there that uh, report that was sent into Raffensperger's office that was released a month or so ago. That was pretty damning. That was new. But it was all kind of stuff that we knew happened in Georgia. You know, we, we know generally the mechanics of the election fraud. This is new, and this is crazy. The team's analysis revealed that 923 of 1,539 mail-in ballot batch files contained votes incorrectly reported in Fulton's official November 3rd, 2020 results. These inaccuracies are due to discrepancies in votes for Donald Trump, Joe Biden, or total votes cast compared to their reported audit totals for respective batches. Thus, the error reporting rate in Fulton's hand count audit is a whopping 60%. 60% error rate in their audit. Discrepancies in votes for Trump, for Biden, or for total votes cast, when compared to the reported audit totals, right? So let's say we have 100 votes and they're half and half. That's what was actually voted. So it's 50 and 50. When they do the audit, they actually report something else. They changed the results in the audit so that the audit would work in the way they wanted it to work. Back to the article. One type of error discovered involved duplicate reporting of counts for batches of ballots. The voter GA team found at least 36 batches of mail-in ballots with 4,255 total extra votes were redundantly added into the Fulton County audit results for the November 3rd election. These illicit extra votes include 3,390 extra votes for Joe Biden, 865 extra votes for Donald Trump, and 43 extra votes for Joe Jorgensen. But it is not simply a case of errors. The voter GA team found seven falsified audit tally sheets containing fabricated vote totals for their respective batches. And Garland Favorito actually did a press conference about this today, and He also did this on War Room as well. He showed these tally sheets, the images of these tally sheets. And you can see it's 100 for Joe Biden, zero for everyone else. 200 for Joe Biden, zero for everyone else. 100, 150, all for Joe Biden, zero for everyone else. It is amazing 
to look at these things. And the Georgia Secretary of State's office had them and knew it because the names and the signatures of the people who ran that part of the audit were redacted when they were given to Favorito. For example, a batch containing 59 actual ballot images for Joe Biden, 42 for Donald Trump, and zero for Joe Jorgensen was reported as 100 for Biden and zero for Trump. The seven batches of ballot images with 554 votes for Joe Biden, 140 votes for Donald Trump, and 11 votes for Joe Jorgensen had tally sheets in the audit falsified to show 850 votes for Biden, zero votes for Trump, and zero votes for Jorgensen. That's amazing, don't you think? Fulton County failed to include over 100,000 tally sheets, including more than 50,000 from mail-in ballots, when the results were originally published for the full hand-count audit conducted by the Office of the Secretary of State for the November 3rd, 2020 election. Those tally sheets remained missing until late February when the county supplemented their original audit results. Petitioners contend that Fulton County did not provide Dropbox transfer forms for at least three pickup days when obligated to do so via an open records request. Those missing forms are still needed to provide chain of custody proof for about 5,000 ballots. The data team also found over 200 Fulton County mail-in ballot images containing votes not included in the hand count audit results for the November 3rd election. All of these anomalies are now included in the Fulton County ballot inspection lawsuit as additional counts of how the equal protection and due process constitutional rights of Georgia voters were violated. Audit procedural flaws. All of this new evidence is in addition to the evidence of counterfeit ballots that formed the basis of the Fulton County ballot inspection lawsuit. So why do all of these fraud and errors exist? The answer is in voter GA co-founder Garland Favorito's affidavit that was completed last year. Favorito, the lead plaintiff, who is a career IT professional specializing in system development methodology and procedures, found that in Fulton and many other counties, and there's a list here, one, the SOS Secretary of State's office established no procedure for dealing with potential counterfeit mail-in ballots that auditors claim to have encountered during the Fulton hand count audit. Two, Audit monitors were not allowed to get within six feet of the tables, so they were unable to determine the magnitude of how many counterfeit ballots may exist in the total count. Three, no one ensured that each audit table had an auditor representing each major political party or candidate, so there was no verification of ballot counts auditors entered onto the tally sheets. No one monitored the data entry point, so the data entry person could enter incorrect totals or tallies different than what the auditors entered on the tally sheets. And that was number four. Forgot to say it. But here comes number five. The tallies were entered in the Secretary of State Arlo system, so most counties do not have any local record of their own audit results and must rely on the Secretary of State's office to tell them what their vote counts are. This audit reporting procedure adopted by the Secretary of State broke the chain of custody and violated basic principles of bottom-up election reporting. The voter GA team set up the ballot images so anyone in the general public can verify the work of the team. This includes a link to the Fulton mail-in ballot images, which is there in the article. 
that can be compared with the publicly available hand count audit results and the falsified tally sheets, which they also link to, that can be manually contrasted against the ballot image batches. And they link to those as well. But perhaps the most important thing to understand is that Fulton officials and the Secretary of State's office have been in possession of this data for the past six months. They did not choose to correct the errors and investigate the fraud. Instead, they chose to cover it up. And that is exactly right. And now you know why there are criminal defense attorneys on the ground in Fulton County. All of this is criminal. Brad Raffensperger and Brian Kemp and all of these corrupt Georgia officials have been on television countless times talking about how secure the election was. How, yeah, well, you know, we didn't think it was going to happen, but I guess Biden won Georgia. And I guess John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock, they really won too. Because Georgia just all of a sudden loves communists. Why? Because they have three million new Californians there. Of course. And now we are just beginning to scratch the surface of the criminal phase of what's coming out. These people are going down. I have said it since November, and I'm sorry about the timeline, but that doesn't work on my schedule. I can't control that. What I can do is tell you the truth as I see it. And this has been a crime the whole time. It has obviously been a crime the whole time. There is absolutely no way that Joe Biden won in any of these swing states. And I'm still not convinced he won any state, period. But we have entered a new phase. And Tucker Carlson announced on his show last night that on Wednesday, he's going to cover new evidence of election fraud in Georgia. Now. Does he get patted on the back for that? No, he doesn't. He should have been doing that last year. Okay? And he knows it, by the way. There's no way he doesn't know it. This is not the first legitimate evidence of fraud. The evidence has been there the entire time. Fox News and its hosts chose or were forced not to talk about it. But rather than rehashing that stuff, Let's look forward to the fact that the election fraud, the truth and the proof of election fraud has now entered the mainstream, or at least it will tomorrow night. And this moment was always unavoidable. There was no way this moment wasn't going to happen, which is why I've said so many times, I cannot believe these people are not out there trying to get in front of this. Just for their own sake, their own reputation, their own life moving forward after this. Everybody is going to know the truth. What side did you stand on before everyone knew the truth? Right? It's real easy to be on the right side of things once everyone else is on the right side of things. And, you know, that's what our very smart public intellectuals will do. People who I'm just endlessly disappointed in, like Eric Weinstein and Sam Harris, and honestly, even Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan knows better than this. You know, he knows better than this about the COVID stuff and should have the entire time. 
And he should have known better than this about election fraud the entire time. The fact that these subjects are just now cracking the mainstream on a show like Joe Rogan's is bananas. That used to be the bastion of open-minded thought. And now it's just a place where people say slightly edgy things and are portrayed as geniuses. Like all of these people, man, they can either give up their smart card or their honest card. You don't get to keep both of them when you're just discovering in July that the election was a total fraud and that COVID and the narrative and the response are ridiculous and immoral. You get zero credit, zero credit for that. Okay. I don't care that you're going to be the guy that finally introduces it to all the commies in a way that they can understand. Don't care. Congratulations. I guess someone have to do it, but you don't get extra credit for that. You get credit for speaking truth, not no longer being able to avoid the politically uncomfortable because you want to maintain your position in the party of false decorum. Give me a break. That's pathetic. There's no more hiding now. Okay. These are crimes. The proof is on the table. The proof is everywhere. And it will be unavoidable within one month, one month from today. Mike Lindell will have wrapped up his cyber symposium that ends on August 12th. That's how far away we are from this being unavoidable for everyone. And so how does it all play out? That's the question. But what we know is that we know the truth and we tell the truth and everything else is just going to fall into place as it will. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting, or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and Parlor at I'm Your Moderator. Soon I'll be up on Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a Substack, I'm Your Moderator.substack.com, where you can donate. 
or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the rain. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!